So the first reading is Romans 4, verses 4 to 8. It's on page 859. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God, who forgives sinners. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. And the second reading is Luke 7, 36 to 50. It's on page 788. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his, fi at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, cancelling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, <clears throat> I suppose the one for whom he cancelled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. But the person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said amongst themselves, who is this man that he goes about forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Gracious Lord, as we look today at the joy of justification, I'm, I'm so thankful to have all the kids in this morning. 
We are blessed with a number of children and families and kids and youth in this, in this church. Lord, we're blessed with the last week with the 30 newcomers that came along, uh, the many families at Father's Day, Lord, and, and Lord, on the weeks we don't have uh, firecrackers or seven up and we're all here, uh, Lord, it is a blessing and we are uh, thankful, Lord. But Lord, we recognise in this time that we are wanting to hear from you. And so in the midst of the kids, uh, understandably walking around and playing and all the noise, we pray that, Lord, that through a work of your spirit, your word would be quickened to our hearts. And in particular, I pray for any person here who has never experienced the joy of the Lord, the joy of justification. I pray that this morning would be a breakthrough in their life. I pray also for some who are dealing with shame and hurts and griefs that are too hard to bear. That perhaps by your spirit this morning you would break through. I pray that there would be no uh, uh, emotional manipulation or anything, me putting something on that, that uh, is in the flesh, so to speak. But I pray that, Lord, that what would take place over this next 15, 20 minutes would simply be your word quickened by the Spirit, piercing our hearts and, and minds. And Lord, oh Lord, start with me. I ask this in your name. Amen. Those listening on podcast and YouTube and you're just tuning in, uh, wherever you are and whenever you're listening to this, uh, welcome. Bianca did say that we're seeing all these new likes and people's on our Facebook. She has no idea where they're from. So if they're from overseas, welcome to joining St. Andrews during virtually. This morning on our ongoing series on Romans, we're looking at the joy of justification. Now, I want to acknowledge that there's two uh, I, at least two errors uh, in relation to the affections of our heart, the emotions, and the Christian faith. Uh, there's probably more than two errors, but I'm, I can, I'm visualizing in my mind the, the joy of the Lord, the truth of the gospel, and on one side uh, could be this dead religious legalism. So this is people, they've, they've grown up going to church, they uh, uh, they know all about the Christian faith. They've read the Bible. They were given a Sunday school Bible. They've been in and out. They know religion and they know the church and they think they're pretty good people. And uh, they are suspicious about any emotion or any joy or anything to do with the affections of their heart. Not once in their life has their heart been touched by the word of God. It's just, you know, it's a good thing for society to come, for the children or whatever. There's various social reasons that they might go, but their heart hasn't been touched. And at times the Presbyterian church has been like this. I remember reading uh, in research in the 1950s, this Presbyterian minister was writing a letter and he was saying, watch out for those Christians who are enthusiastic about Jesus. You certainly wouldn't want to be that. You know, this is religion and proper. And so and I guess on that dead religious legalism, the, the Simon the Pharisee would probably be a pin-up poster boy uh, for that. And on the other side... Uh, uh, actually, just, and I'll just say this, that, you know, people, before I move on to the second side, I'll just say this, that people, we come in a range of, you know, some people are pretty stoic. On their wedding day, this is the excited. You know, when the All Blacks are winning, right? But, but there's some people who are just like that. However, I would say this, that if, if you're like this, you've never had your heart touched, yet when rare events happen, like your wedding day or the All Blacks winning, and you're excited, and you're full of joy, but you've never once had your heart touched by the gospel. That's a problem. 
Right? It's an error, I would argue, that is not biblical. We, our affections of our heart should be touched through the Word of God, through the Holy Spirit working in our heart. But there is another error. Right? This is a church, as I'm caricaturing it a little bit, but just for effect, it's a little, hyperbole, Jesus used hyperboles, um, is that you go to the church, there's the smoke generators, there's the music that is designed to, to work on your emotions. Usually, it's some pumped up songs, and then it's some slower songs, and then after the sermon, a well-chosen thing, and the, and the speaker is designing, he comes up with you know sad, sorry stories about a sore puppy that's been wind, injured or something like that. It's designed to play on all your emotions, and people are crying and laughing and full of joy, but it's not necessarily to do with anything that God is doing. It is entirely an outward performance. And so that, I would argue, is an error that you can see sometimes in, in churches. And perhaps you've seen both. But in the middle is this road, which is the biblical. It's a joy and a peace and a delight of every believer being freely justified in Christ through faith who should receive. Or perhaps given the complexities of mental health illnesses and a range of other things, it is something that each believer should earnestly desire to have in their life. It's a fruit of the Christian life in their life. All right, and it's that joy of salvation that every believer should have that I want us to meditate on this morning because it's what the passage is all about. But first, before we do that, Paul's got this logic. He's going through, and I want you to stay with me. Paul is summing up the stuff, and he's heading to this joy passage of the affections of our heart. And it's, I think he's summing up some of the stuff that's been going on. So here he is, Romans 4.4. 4. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. Right? That's an obvious, timeless truth. Right? So uh, did anyone remember the days when you... I, I remember when I was a young kid. It was the days before the cashless payments, and you got the envelopes. Did anyone receive envelopes with your money in it? Oh, maybe it's the first ever. I'm probably getting really old then. Uh, well, I remember as a, as a young 14-year-old, I was working for New World, and it was my first, I did eight hours, and I came up to the office, and there was this envelope. And I opened it, and there was something like $50, which back in 1994 was a huge amount of money for a, for a 14-year-old. And I was just filled with excitement. But just imagine this. Imagine that I had to plead and to beg for that money, or that you had to plead and beg for that money, right? That would create resentment. Why? Because you had earned it, right? In the natural world, your employer owes you, uh, they're in debt to you. Perhaps some employers will say that some of their employees haven't really earned it uh, with the level of work that they've done or whatever. But under New Zealand law, if they've turned up at least physically and done the work, they should be being paid. Right, so that you earned it, and the scriptures bring out this point this morning. And it says, if our works, our moral merits, earn us salvation, right? So you just picture it: you take out the recycling for your neighbour, you're kind to your mother-in-law or father-in-law or something like that, or you're nice to a person who's mean to you, and then God sees it here, and oh my goodness, they've done these good works, and what is? I'm now in debt to them. Says God, what am I going to do? Oh, I know, I'll give them eternal salvation. To, to pay off their debt that I'm under. Is, is God in debt to us? And, and what Paul is saying is, no, God doesn't owe us anything, right? We, we, our, our, our salvation is free. And this uh, here is, is what Moo, who's the commentator, fascinating name called Moo, but there you go, he's Douglas Moo, that God acts towards his creatures graciously without compulsion or necessity, is one of Paul's non-negotiable axioms, a key thing 
a loving God, freely given God, and incapable of being put under obligation to any human being. It is a person who believes in this God and who thereby in his belief renounces any claims that his good works might exert. So summing up the scriptures here, our works have no part, our moral good deeds have no part in our justification. Our forgiveness, our being declared right by God. God is not in debt to you. God doesn't owe you anything. This is a key thing, but whether you agree with it or not, it's, it's what the Bible teaches. Right? And then two, we receive justification, we receive forgiveness, we receive being declared right by God simply by our faith or trust in Christ. And yes, I know there's bad punctuation there. And so God, but I'm terrible at English, God's word sums up that we're counted as righteous not because we've earned it by inherent goodness or our flawless track record of good deeds, but because we've entrusted our lives to Christ who forgives sinners. So in effect, if the Bible is true, if the gospel is reality and humanity, instead of being good and perfect and generally just awesome, instead of that, we entrust our lives to Christ who forgives sinners. All right? we don't, we're not owed salvation. Humanity, or at least myself as sinners, I justly deserve eternal death. And because of my sin, God acts mercifully to all, to me and to all who have faith, not because of their moral works, but because of faith in Christ. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. And then here comes up to the third point. Or coming up, people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of faith who forgives sinners. So one... Our works have no part in our justification. Two, we receive justification by our faith in Christ. And three, this is where we're heading today. A God-given joy and peace is a result or fruit of this freely given justification. This is what David says. Well, Paul, quoting David. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. So what Paul's getting at is for those who truly get the Christian faith, for those who get the gospel and have received it, peace, joy, and delight is theirs, as well as many other things, such as forgiving the sins of others. And our second reading from Luke, we get to see the contrast of a person who gets the gospel to a person who does not get the gospel. We get to see the fruit of real faith versus dead religion. So are you, this is a good question. Are you got a dead religious faith this morning or do you really understand the gospel? All right? are, you got the people, are, you, are you going through the motions or do you really get it this morning? The Paul is talking about the key results of understanding. Right, so in the, in the Gospel of Luke, in the Luke story, you see this joyless dead, I'm saved by my good works religion, by the religious, re religious leader, who's a Pharisee, and then you get to see overwhelmed by joy and gratitude by what Christ has done. And it comes out with Jesus, he comes along to this meal, and he's reclining back in the day, if you, I'm sure you guys know this, you're lying down with your feet behind, and you're eating food. Sounds a great way to eat dinner. Anyway, and there he is, and there is Simon the Pharisee, and there's all the other religious do-gooders with the prophet or teacher, Jesus. And then the woman comes in, bursts into the house, probably unannounced and not welcome. And she comes in and she weeps over Jesus' feet. Everyone's seeing. 
And then gets this. She dries Jesus' feet with her hair. I couldn't do that, but there you go. She could. And then she kisses Jesus' feet in front of everyone and anoints it with her oil, with expensive perfume. Right? Why did she do this? It's the shock of it. All right, you've, one of the things I think is we re, when you read these stories and you've grown up in churches, I have, and you hear a person saying, and she anoints Jesus' feet with oil. I remember in church hearing this. The shock of what she does just flies over my head, and it just becomes another Bible story. And I, my heart isn't actually touched by what she's actually doing. Hear it, let this woman's actions, this is really, really vital, St. Andrews, let this woman's actions speak to your heart this morning. Hear it like you're hearing it for the first time. The Pharisee judges Jesus and this woman. The woman's a sinner, a prostitute, as most commentators suggest, or at least sexually promiscuous. And she comes in, and yet she is overwhelmed by joy and a gratitude at the forgiveness, and a cleansing of the right status. Now, this is really key. She didn't weep over Jesus' feet and anoint his feet with kissing and oil to get forgiveness. She had already received it. This was an emotional response to the gospel. This was that she, had, she knew and she'd received the love of God. And this was a result of it. Crazy. She had, a, she had a joy that was bigger than her shame, greater than her past, and more overwhelming and insistent than the social mores and proprieties of her society. Have you personally experienced this delight? But the Pharisee, like many did religious people, didn't get it. In fact, he was outraged at this emotional display and he judged her and Jesus. So Jesus then tells the story. And he looks, he knows what's going on in the Pharisee's heart. And he says, Simon, I've got a story for you and a question that comes with it. And, and he goes and says, yeah, sure, tell me. And he gives the story of the two debtors and then he asks Simon, who's, who's, who would be most grateful? And Simon rep replies correctly, it's the one who's been forgiven more. Now, the moral of the story isn't that she is a bad sinner who owes this large amount, and so she should be grateful, and that we here at St. Andrews are living good, righteous lives, so we should only be a little bit grateful and mostly entitled. The point of the Luke's Gospel is that we're all the woman. Every single one of us, we are the woman this morning. In God's eyes, we owe an unpayable amount, and that if we've got the Gospel something of that woman's response would be in our hearts this morning. You know, so the sinful woman, maybe she owes 10 billion, Why I, with my pride, religious legalism, brokenness, owe 12 billion. But from God's perspective, whether you owe 10 billion or 12 billion, it's an unpayable amount. Or perhaps she really does owe the 12 billion and me the 10 billion, but it doesn't really matter. If you're sentenced to jail, if you're in front of one person, he's sentenced to jail for 722 years, and you're sentenced for 721 years, it really doesn't make a difference. It's both a life sentence. So I'll be honest with you, this woman shames me and my faith. Her actions say this, Alistair, where is the joy of your justification? Where's the delight? To my shame, St. Andrews, I, I'm going to be honest with you, I am more like the Pharisee, going through the motions, I know the stories, I know the gospel, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I know it! But how often is my heart like hers? How often? And Paul writes of this joy. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. 
Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Sins out of sight, God does not hold your past against you. What joy. No wonder the woman burst into the house and kissed Jesus' feet. Nowhere else and with no one else could she receive such freedom, honour and dignity and love freely given. She was overwhelmed by the power of it. She could do nothing else. But here's the thing. How many people responded to Jesus like that in a three-year ministry? Two women, few others in different ways. Most of them just you know, shrug of the shoulders, here for the miracles, here for the teaching, out the door they go. They weren't that, that impacted. But this woman got it. So how do we receive this joy? Do you want this joy this morning? Well, let's, let, let me say there's a biblical way to get it. And the first, it involves repentance. Who's heard of uh, the, the, the story written in 1860 called Les Miserables? All right. And anyway, have you watched the movie of it, the recent movie that came out as well, Les Miserables? So if you don't know it, it is worth watching. I know it's written in 1860, but it is powerful and amazing. It's a classic. So as you know, if you know the story, Jean Valjean, he's uh, had a tough life, hardened heart. He's a convict for some minor thing. Years in prison, he's finally released but he's on this parole gig thing, which is basically means he's never going to be free. And then um, he turns up uh, one night to a bishop's house. The bishop kindly takes him, an old man, and offers him food and board during the night. And Jean Valjean, whose heart is full of bitterness, he's pretty much over God, religion, life. It all sucks. I've got nothing. Life just sucks. I've got, you know, he sees the silver, the forks and the spoons, which he's eaten. He goes... This is my ticket out of slavery. And as he grabs all the silver and takes an exit out in the middle of the night. Well, the police, the French police discover him and they, are, and they grab him running. Looks like he looks dodgy with the sort of the way he's dressed. And then they discover the silver on him and they say, whose silver is that? And so he comes up with this feeble, pathetic lie. Oh, the bishop gave it to me. And the, so they grab him and they take him to the bishop to expose the pathetic lie and to get him thrown into jail for life. And it's here, we're going to, I'm going to read you the words from the story. Ah, there you are, the bishop exclaimed, looking at Jean Valjean. I'm glad to see you. But well, how is this? You only took the silver forks and candlestones? I gave you the candlesticks as well, which are silver like the rest, and which you can certainly get 200 francs. Why did you not carry them away with your forks and spoons? Jean Valjean opened his eyes wide and stared at the venerable bishop with an expression which no human tongue can render any account of. Monsieur, said the brigadier of the Gardamiers, so what this man said is actually true then? We came across him. He was walking like a man who's running away. We stopped him to look into the matter. He had the silver. And he told you, interposed the bishop with a smile, that had been given to him by a kind old fellow of a priest with whom he had passed the night. I see how the matter stands and you've brought him back here, but it's a mistake. In that case, replied the brigadier, we can let him go. Certainly, replied the bishop. Jean Valjean, been given a free nights of sleep and food, rewards the kindness with stealing, but not only is he forgiven and allowed the silver he's stolen, he's been given the free silver candlesticks as well. And Jean Valjean, in the song and the thing, he talks about what was going on in his heart, right? When he had to look in the bishop and then give him the candlesticks as well. And this is what he says. He says, writhing in agony later, I feel my shame inside of me like a knife. 
If you want the joy of the Lord, you've got to have that. Have you ever had shame that's rift inside of you because of the way you've treated people, loved ones, and those close to you? How you've used people for your own selfish gain? That woman, she had to know what she had done before she could receive the joy. But the Simon the Pharisee had never had a moment of shame because he was one of the good people, the religious. He did not know. He, was, he, was, he thought he was justified in his own sight. If you want the joy of the Lord, you have to go through a dark night of the soul. King David did that. He said this. It's interesting words. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. He was talking in relation to the murder he'd done and the affair and all the other terrible things. He was crushed inside him. And this is what uh, um, Gavin Altland says. It can seem strange that repentance can produce both grief and joy. That David's bones can be crushed yet rejoice. But this is consistent with the flavor of the gospel which achieves life through death, joy through suffering, and good through evil. We might say that repentance is to joy what Good Friday is to Easter or Resurrection Sunday. That necessary path of agonizing, self-abasing death by which we emerge into light and freedom beyond which we could have never imagined. Never imagined. If you want the joy that only God gives, repent of your sins and trust in Christ for your righteousness. And if you believe that you are right in the sight of God by your own works, perhaps you need to look at your heart. Yes, it involves a horrible, painful acknowledgement of the depth of our sin and brokenness, how we've used others for our gain, our pride, the deceit and deception of sin. But through the pain of shame, we boldly claim the promises of forgiveness and a right relationship with God. And here's the thing, we find that when we go to the heavenly bishop's house, not only are we not, not, not sent to prison, not only do we get to keep the silver candlesticks, but God, the bishop, gives us, the, the, not only do we get the forks and spoons, but we're given the candlestick as well. Or actually, in, in, in Luke's gospel, uh, we're forgiven and given the gold ring, the, the, the robes and the sandals and the feast. That is the gospel. And if you've received that, what are you, what's the response of the heart going to be? Joy. Delight. So may I suggest this, these promises of forgiveness, we need to hold on to them. We need to memorize the scriptures and believe them and meditate on them. Fight shame with the accusations of the, of the accusations of the evil with Christ's promises and receive the joy that's yours. Also, if we believe the gospel, that we haven't worked for our salvation, that we are Jean Valjean, that we are the promiscuous woman, that we are the murdering king, that this is us, and we've got this forgiveness, one result from this church that would be noticed by this community is humility. Uh, I don't know if you've ever noticed Carl's prayers over the last, ever since I've been here actually. Um, Carl's prayers have often been praying for humility. He believes, maybe he's wrong, but I think he could be right, that there's actually pride in this heart of this church. The gospel leaves no room for pride in our hearts. Because once we know that we're Jean Valjean, we have a humility knowing we are forgiven. So do we show others this? If we believe the gospel, we, know we should know the joy of salvation that frees us not only not go back and continue in sin, but to live a transformed life. And I want to read this. 
David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. So I've got one question for you, if you're stuck with me. Do you know in here the joy of justification? Gracious Lord, we thank you for your word. And we, Lord, as we're working our way through Romans, and Lord, we've heard about the, all the doctrines of it as we've been going through. And now Paul is talking about the effects that it has on those who truly know you and know this forgiveness. And Lord, I pray in your name that this joy, this peace, this delight, that the delight that the woman had, that this would be something that would be evident in this church. And there would be a humility that we would have with those around us and a joy and a delight that would transform people's lives that they, as they see the love and the light and the forgiveness that you have poured into our lives through Christ Jesus. Amen.